With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Step Discussion for Monday night, October 30th, 2017. We got Halloween tomorrow. And before you know it, we're all going to be, uh, or many of us, I won't say all, because I know some that won't, but uh, many of us will be uh, eating turkey or ham, and uh, then the crazy shopping time begins and all that stuff, so uh, it won't be long, and we'll be saying, Happy New Year! But uh, we're here tonight, just like we always are. We've always been here for over eight years. We've never missed a Monday night, and the reason we're here is to discuss debt issues. That's why it's Dallas Debt Discussion. If you're looking for legal advice, you won't find it here. You get that from lawyers. We don't know what it is. We couldn't dispense it if we knew what it was, first of all. And second of all, if our life depended on it, uh, we'd be in big trouble. So if you're looking for legal advice, please go find yourself a bar-licensed attorney because you won't find it here. But what you will find here is uh, a group of people that have similar interests in dealing with the uh, situation with the uh, debt collection industry in this country, the, uh, uh, including the credit reporting agencies and even the companies that use the telephone to harass the daylights out of everybody. And uh, that seems to be a never-ending problem for a lot of people. But we're here to help people learn about the statutes, to learn about how to interpret uh, the statutes, and how to properly use the courts to enforce those rights should you choose to do so. Uh, that choice is up to everybody. Some people are better off uh, hiring an attorney to do certain things. Uh, we recommend in many cases uh, learning how to use the courts properly and defending yourself. Uh, in a situation. Okay, whoever just came on, uh, we got a lot of uh, noise feedback. Okay, but anyway, uh, the whole idea is we're here for educational purposes. It's people helping people. That's all it is. We don't get paid for what we do. We've spent thousands of hours doing it. Uh, John and, and Terry and myself are the moderators on this call. Uh, we are all three of us litigators in federal court. We uh, Each one of us has had substantial experience litigating in federal court, so uh, a lot of the knowledge we speak from is personal experience. And some of the knowledge we speak from is from our study and learning uh, through the years on how to do things properly, not just make something sound good, oh, well, I read it on the Internet, so it must be right. Well, some of the stuff on the Internet is right. But on the flip side, some of the stuff on the Internet is pure garbage. And you've got to be able to figure out 
which is garbage and which is correct. Because if you're going to be utilizing the courts for your benefit, you need to uh, use them properly because if you don't, you're probably not going to have a good outcome because the attorneys go to law school not to learn the law. you got to understand that. They go there to learn procedure, to learn how to lie in front of the court, to learn how to manipulate people and get away with it and win their cases and twist words. That's the words are the name of the game for the lawyering profession. And we've learned a lot about that. Do we have all the answers? Of course not. Are we experts? Of course not. But we have a fair amount of knowledge that we are willing to share. So uh, hopefully you will let other people know that this resource is out here. There's my call on Mondays. I should say the call that I do on Mondays. It's not my call. It's your call. And every uh, uh, normally every other week there's a call on Tuesday. However, this week and next week there will be no Tuesday call. It will be uh, two weeks uh, from tonight or tomorrow night. Excuse me. Will be the next Tuesday call. And then of course Terry's calls that used to be on Wednesday are now on Thursdays with the same number and uh, the same pin and the same time at eight o'clock Eastern. So. There is support out here. We can't do this for you. We don't even try. We have people that ask us to all the time. But the problem is there's way too many of you and so few of us. We can't do this one-on-one. We will help you with learning from the information that's in Jesse's website. And how do you get to Jesse's website? Very simply, open a browser, type in knockoutcollectors.net, K-N-O-C-K, out collectors, and that's T-O-R-S, dot net. Don't do a search for it. Just type it in, and it will take you to Jesse's website. Uh, it is a member's website. It's $49 a month. It's $99 for the first month, $49 a month after that. For as long as you want to be a member, there's no commitments. Uh, you can even share a membership with somebody and uh, – Terry is the one that helps coordinate that. If people want to share memberships, that literally gets your cost down to $24.50 a month. We know a lot of people uh, are tough on money at times, uh, so that's a great help. It's not about making a bunch of money. It's about uh, making sure that people have access because there's, there's two IP addresses for each membership, so that's how that's done. <clears throat> we have a number of people that do that, that share memberships, which is, is great. So uh, if that's something you need, send an email to queensongbird at gmail.com and simply say I need to uh, share a membership with someone or I have a membership I will share with somebody. Let Terry know that. That right. is the email address. And let me just explain a little bit there, Dave, because I always have to type it all out. People don't understand. Um, payment for the website is handled through ClickBank. Jesse doesn't do that. Gary doesn't do that. The website doesn't do that. ClickBank does that. And ClickBank will not split the payment between two people. No. So when you're sharing a membership, the two partners need to get together, decide who is going to have the official membership and be charged for it, and the other person pays them. We don't care which one of you does it. (coughs) 
that's up to you to work out with the person you're forming a partnership with. If that person already has a membership, then you would simply pay that person your half. Okay. Yep, it's a very simple process. Yeah, ClickBank doesn't have anything to do with that. And, you know, Jesse and the website, uh, Gary, the webmaster and stuff, they, they have nothing to do with that. So if you need to share a membership, like I said, uh, send an email to Terry and either say, I need to share a membership with somebody or I have a membership I uh, am willing to share with somebody. That way she knows which side of the fence you're on. Also, um, one other thing. I do have a person who is waiting to share uh, their membership with uh, the woman who called, this was a week or two ago, who was in dire straits, and um, I told her to send me an email and I would hook her up with someone to share a membership with. I never heard from her, but I did hear from this person who's willing to share with her. So if she's on the call tonight, please send me an email at queensongbird at gmail.com so I can hook you up with someone who can help you. I do not remember her name. Um, the other thing is I have to remind everybody again, and this goes out especially to new people, do not reply to one of my mass emails and never send an email to me to the Queen Songbird 2 email address. People are still not listening about that. I only go in there once a week. And now that I don't send out reminders, except to a handful of people from my regular email, I only go in there after the Thursday night call to send out a mass email with the link in it and I will not read emails in there because I've told everybody not to use it. I'm not going to maintain two email addresses. I get close to a 1,000 emails a day. I just can't do it. So if you need to send me an email, make sure you do it in a separate email, not a reply to one of mine, and send it to queensongbird at gmail.com, not the other one. Okay, it's all yours now, Dave. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right. Well, uh, when you come on this call, just to run down for any new people that are on the board, uh, when you come on this call, you are unmuted. The way you mute yourself, which I ask you to do, uh, if you're not talking, which should be right now, is to hit star six. You can either mute yourself using a mute button on your phone, or I prefer that you use a star six, that way I can see you're muted. And uh, that way we don't have the extraneous noise. All these calls are recorded. People download these. Uh, they listen to them for uh, education purposes. There's a lot of people that download this stuff onto uh, MP3 players and listen to it either when they're walking, jogging, or uh, driving to work or whatever. So uh, it's we like to have a nice, clean recording for them so that they can hear everything that we don't have the extraneous noise. So please be cur uh, courteous to everybody and do that. Then, of course, we always start a call with good news. And the reason we have good news, we've done this for years, is we want to hear about good, positive things that are happening with our people in our group. Uh, God knows there's uh, 
plenty of crap that's going on out there. Uh, I try and filter most of it out. I don't listen to most of it. There's, it's mostly noise. Uh, that's not to say I'm not informed. I am informed. I know what's going on in the world. I just don't want to listen to all the noise. But we want to hear the good news when uh, something happens. So uh, I will open the floor. Uh, you don't have to hit star eight to put yourself in the queue. All you got to do is speak up and uh, let us know about your good news. Well, I don't hear any voices speaking up. And, of course, good news can uh, come in later. There's uh, nothing that says somebody can't come on the call later and bring us good news. That, that isn't just for the beginning of the call. Well, uh, other than other than the actual mega makeup job itself, all the costumes and accessories are finished for tomorrow. Oh, so everybody's ready to go, huh? Well, yeah, but because of everybody's hours, I was kind of counting on doing like the, my daughter and my husband at the same time, you know, because each layer of everything takes time to dry and all that, and, yeah. and it would be so much simpler. Well, this is no, Carrie's talking about now. Halloween costume, costume makeup that she does. Yeah, for family members. It generally takes me, just to do my husband, about four to four and a half hours. Well, as it's going to work out... I can't I believe have, you sit still that long. Well, I have time to... He wants to win that money. That's what it is. And yeah. he's he's won with that costume before. So, mm-hmm. you know, he wants to do it again. But this year, I have to do both of them and my granddaughter... And my daughter has to be at work until 4.30. Trick-or-treating starts at 5.30, and we have to go to Murphy. So I have to do the fastest <laughs> latex makeup job I ever did on anybody on my daughter when she gets home from work. So I'm going to have to start early in the day to get everybody done in time. And I'm just going as grandma because I don't have time to be doing all that to myself. Yeah. Well, you know, do what you can. That's all you can do. Yep. I have good news. Oh, well, let's hear your good news. I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, I'm I still alive. <laughs> I just wanted to say... um to follow up, I had mentioned that I delivered my um, admissions last Monday, my 88 admissions. And so that was the last in my discovery for this foreclosure. And I haven't gotten uh, anything from the plaintiff at all. So they didn't discover me, not one iota. Well... They didn't discover a darn thing, huh? No. Didn't ask me for nothing. I guess they got everything they need. They think they've got it in the bag. I imagine so. Well, onward and upward. Yeah. So, you know, I figure they're probably going to do a a motion for summary judgment soon as discovery closes. But. Um, we shall see. Well, you won't have too long to wait, right? You got, well, it closes you got almost November, the 30? Almost November 30. 25th is when it closes. Okay, yeah. 
So I may have to do a motion to compel before then. Well, yeah, depending on whether they answer or not. Well, because I gave them the production first, because in New Jersey, that they had 60 days to answer. Oh, really? Right. So I need to um, go look up my date. I'm getting ready to do my due, calendar, my due date calendar of mm-hmm. this week so I know when I should be expecting stuff. That's interesting that uh, New Jersey allows 60 days for production of documents. The, that's why I did that before my interrogatories. Well, yeah, it's logical you would do that. Yeah, but I've I've never heard of uh, heard of more than thirty days. Uh, I've seen less than thirty well, days. Of course, it's New Jersey. They got to be different. Well, yeah, New Jersey has got a bunch of strange stuff. I do know that. But then again, there's other jurisdictions that have got strange things too. But uh, that's the first one I have heard of. That's not to say that I know everything that's out there, because obviously I don't. But that's the first one I've I've ever heard that uh, allows more than 60 days uh, as a standard rule for discovery on anything. But the the other crazy thing is there was like no limit, no limit on interrogatory questions, no limit on production, no limit on admissions. At least I couldn't find a limit. Well, normally you're not going to see limits on production because, you know, some cases can be pretty involved and there can be a lot of production. Usually there is, though, on interrogatories and admissions. Yes, yeah. But, you know, if there aren't any uh, limitations, there aren't any limitations. Well, I would have um, doing 88 was extreme, and I actually cut it down because it was almost 100. But... Figuring I wasn't going to get another go at it. Right. Is why it was just so many. Right. I ran ran out of time. I got to tell you what I did. It was like a Murphy's Law thing. I was thinking about Terry. I was working on it Sunday night, and I had like two files open. They were named the same thing. And I saved the wrong one. Oh, no. The one I had spent four hours editing was not the one I saved. Oh, oh, we have been there. Yeah, I was just going to say, we've been there, done that. Recently. <laughs> and, so, and, it, and I didn't get started on it at 7 Monday morning because I knew I only had a little bit to do. So I started like 1030 and here I had to start over. Oh, no, no, no. That wait, is wait. Murphy's Law in all its glory. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it gets better. Not only did I have to start over and edit it and find the other files I had used to copy stuff from. So I get done and I print it and I just the other 15 I wanted to add from a good lawyer here in Jersey. I just didn't have time to add. I said, I'm going to go with what I got. And I run out the house, 325, 320, and I locked the door. It didn't have my car keys. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you were just having an affair with Murphy that day. (laughs) Uh, Could get back in the house. To get my car keys. Oh, my goodness. Just crazy. You're so just, put, 
Far when it rains, my it pours. Life. Yeah, when it rains, it pours. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, the, you got to stay away from doing stuff the last day. You just yeah. really, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we talk about that all the time. Yeah, procrastination is an enemy. It, you really in legal work, it can be deadly. You got to stay as far away from that as you do pissing off Miss Karma. Well, uh-huh. it, you know, everybody and this last day stuff. I've meant, I'm going to mention it again for anybody that hasn't heard me say it. You know, if you wait till the last day, you never know when you're going to have that flat tire. Nope. You never know when the battery is going to be dead. You never know when there's going to be a big wreck or and you get caught in traffic in your car. That, any any number of a ton of different things, and you know it, your cars run perfectly for all the time you've had it, but this is the day it quits. And you know what? The court doesn't want to hear. Oh well, my car quit on me. Well, you've had how many days to do this? You didn't get it in on time? Tough luck, lady. You know, that's the way the court's going to look at it. Lawyers get away with that, but we don't. Well, lawyers can file electronically from their office. They don't have to run to the courthouse. That's the difference. Most of us have to file on paper. There's a few of us that are allowed to file electronically. Uh, I'm not one of those. I have to take everything by paper. I actually asked if I could be allowed to use the uh, CMECF, and they told me no. Pro se's in in the Eastern District of Texas cannot. What I meant was lawyers often get away with the dog ate it excuse in other things, but we don't. Well, they're officers of the court, so they're getting some leeway. Yeah, but either way, you know, but you got it in there. That's the main thing. You got it there in time. That I did. The good thing out of it, I found a faster way to get to the law firm. Huh. I bet you did. <laughs> well, from my from my GPS software, it took me the way I had never thought to go, and it was faster. Well, good. Well, you know, you just never know, do you? No, you sure don't. So I go trotting in there at 420. There you go. Well, that's good. Well, thank you for the good news. We'll uh, have to wait and see what happens going forward, right? Right. Well, trial is supposed to be in February. Mm-hmm. So I have to, I have to get myself rolling on my, uh, my federal suit because I need to, to re-letter them, and I haven't done it. I should have been done it. So I'm going to yep. get on that, too. Get on the ball there. Get I her am. done. I'm, I'm going to get rolling. Okay. I'm muting out. <laughs> well, actually, I have some good news. Well? Last month, I had a problem getting my settlement check because the Postal Service screwed around, and they basically lost it for almost a week. And I kind of anticipated that they might send it a little bit earlier this month. And they did. And it got here in two days. Last time it took six. Wow. Was it that got the- here in two days. So, you know, I got 
I got my settlement check, which is supposed to be by the 30th, uh, which is today, of course. Um, Was that an efficient post office, or they did? Well, no, they just uh, they just did it uh, uh, a little bit earlier, and and the postal service actually did what they were supposed to do. But anyway, I got the check Saturday and uh, made my little trip to the bank today. So that was. That's great. That was the good news I had. Uh, I still got more research on other things to do. I, I've been focused on a, a couple of other things. And, well, um, early be doing... late any day. Oh yeah, yeah. Early, early works. <laughs> early works, no doubt about it. Okay, I want to check again, see if anybody else has got any good news. Otherwise, we yes. will go to Q and A. Hi, good evening. Uh, this is Melissa calling from New Jersey. I have some good news. Oh, good. What do you got? So my husband recently just had a settlement, received his check from Capital, I'm sorry, Credit One Bank. Oh, he good. had a um, FCRA claim against them, and he also just settled with Crown Asset Management, which was super easy. Um, that was just an intent to sue underneath the FCRA and they settled with him quick, fast, and hurry. What was it, what was it for, S2B or permissible? Yes, a, cr- uh, uh, and, um, a credit pool without a permissible purpose. Ah, I'm surprised. Okay. And that was really a really, really fast settlement. I want to say about a week and a half once wow. they received the, um, the intent to sue letter. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes they they happen very very quickly like that, and other times they kind of, you know, different people want to be a pain in the neck. But I'm I'm glad that uh, worked out real quick for you, and that's uh, sure a nice feeling to get that check in the mail, isn't it? Definitely. And the last time I called in and spoke with you guys, I was preparing for an evidentiary hearing. I'm the one that had a. I have a third party. Um, debt collector saying that they were the servicer of my home, the servicer and the owner of the note. I don't know if you guys remember. Um, So I had the evidentiary hearing, and that went pretty well. That was my first time involved in anything of that nature where we actually had someone from the bank that, um, from my bank, well, I shouldn't say my bank, but from the servicer of my mortgage, they actually came to testify and we were able to play a recording from a conversation that I had with the servicer stating that they were that they were indeed the servicer of my my loan and the party that was bringing suit against me was not the servicer so that was really interesting and we left with the judge saying that she was going to make her decision but she was actually able to say before she left the court to the plaintiff, I'm not sure if you were the right party to bring suit. I'm not sure if you actually had standing to bring this litigation. That was on October 18th. We still have not received the order in the mail from the judge, which is a little bit different because usually every time that we've gone there um, for different motions, we received her decision within one to two days, almost as if it was prepared before we came and just kind of ready to be mailed out. But we have not received anything at this point. Well, that would indicate more than likely she's doing a little research on things. Definitely. Looking at things very carefully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
probably beneficial uh, on your side. I think so. I felt good about it. Um, I was really, really nervous before going in because I had to cross-examine the person from the bank. Um, But I got some advice from you guys, and I also was able to go and speak to an attorney. They really didn't want to get involved only because the case is so far, so far ahead. Um, Mm -hmm. But they did give me some really good advice and told me how to prepare in terms of making photocopies of certain evidence and having it marked so that way I can submit it into the court as exhibits, marking it as D1, D2, et cetera. So I was really prepared. We had copies. When the judge asked for things, the plaintiff didn't have it. I actually had it, and I was able to find it and submit it to the judge. So I was super prepared, and I think she saw that. Um, She saw a big shift and where we were this time last year when we were in court, kind of all over the place, even with our paperwork, it just wasn't really, um, it really didn't flow. So I think we learned a lot in the course of a year, and we were able to actually articulate everything that we wanted to say rather than we don't know who the plaintiff is, we don't have a contract with them. We were actually able to really articulate, and I think she saw that. So we're just hopeful that we get good news from the evidentiary hearing. Well, good. Well, you know, your your work paid off. A lot you know, of hard you, work. You make a you well, you 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 learned about procedure, you learned how the process works, you learned how to present things properly, and that, you know, obviously made an impression on the court. And it helped you convey the proper information to the court. So the court can understand it instead of, oh, man, this is just another one of these people in here griping about something. I don't want to listen to this, you know, because they, mm-hmm. they hear that from a lot. You know, most pro se's, that's, that's what they do. They just that's go in and mean. whine and complain. And uh, they, you know, there's no real format to what they're doing because they don't study the rules and they don't understand how to function in the courtroom. So mm-hmm. kudos to you guys. You did a good job, sounds like. Thank you. And lastly, I just want to, this is for Terry. So I sent out the first set of letters, the credit letters that we were all sending out, and I got an interesting response from TransUnion. They sent me a letter um, that looks a little bit different than receiving the actual credit report that I've gotten from the other two credit bureaus. They sent me a letter that's saying that they want to help me maintain the accurate information on my consumer credit report. And what they sent me basically is a list of, like, my names that I've ever used in the past, all of my addresses, and underneath each of these sources, I'm sorry, each of the names, they have this source where they're pulling that information from. (laughs) Oh, oh, good try, guys. Well, you know, but, Terry, you go back to the first letter, and that's some of what was asked for. Stop. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's more than anybody else has gotten. That's true. So, for instance, but it's like, no, so, it's so, no credit information. It's personal information. Correct. Yeah. It's all personal. It's all personal. So, for instance, they have the last four digits of my social, and then they list maybe I don't know. It has to be a hundred different people that may have, I guess, reported my social to them at some point, like the name of the creditor. <laughs> Dave, that was creative. Number. 
Well, it's more responsive to the request than it's anything a, yeah. we've heard from anybody. But it, it's it's create a creative dodge, at least, compared to uh-huh. the other stuff we've gotten back. Yeah. Hmm. you got to give them that on that one. Yeah, I just got two more credit reports back last week. Nevertheless, know. it's still unresponsive. Right. It's okay. not what I asked for. And the other two, I received my credit report. But this is really different. So we have that, my date of birth. That's funny. And then a list of all the creditors that have used this, my date of birth. Oh, well, go right. back, go back through the first letter and very carefully compare mm-hmm. what you asked for in that first letter as to what they provided, and see which ones they complied with and which ones they didn't comply with. But but the point is, it's not fully responsive. Period. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is not what she asked for. She asked for her entire file, and that is in no mm-hmm. way her exactly. entire file. Exactly. Okay. Right. So, I mean, your response at this point is you send the second letter. You don't need an explanation. You don't need to change that second letter or attach anything to it. Mm-mm. They get the second letter. Look, guys, good try, you know, but... Uh, well, they get the second letter, but you put a copy of the first letter with it. Right. I, okay. I, I didn't in, with mine. Well, that's the way it's written. Oh, yes, I did. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the way it's written. Right. So you attach the, the first letter with it, and yeah. that's that's enough. You don't explain to them how they've screwed up yet again. Right. Simply, yeah. It's uh, not our job to educate them. Right. You just attach that second letter. And make sure that with the second letter, just like with the first, you put your copy of your driver's license and your social security number. Gee, Dave, they, they really know who she is and where she is. <laughs> they, they don't know me. <laughs> but I sent the letter from my husband as well, and based on his credit report. Well, they're just kind of really mixed up, huh? Does that yeah. tell you how organized or lack of organized they are? Hmm. Mm. Yeah, and for I, me, when, when I sent the letters, TransUnion sent me a credit report twice. And experience sent me a credit report twice. I'm still waiting for the second response from Equifax. I haven't got it yet. Well, I got the second response back from TransUnion real quick, which was the same BS they sent the first time. Mm-hmm. So I'm ready to go with the lawsuit on ZAM when we get to it. But um, the other two I haven't heard back from, which is kind of surprising because the first time Equifax was quick or they responded really fast. I think they're buried. They're a little buried right now. But, you know, I I just got to say, that's that's a creative dodge. That's the most creative dodge they've come up with yet. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the most interesting thing we've heard yet. Hmm. Well, it sounds like you're just having too much fun. Definitely. So when when you have an evidentiary hearing or any type of hearing, and the, you leave the court and the judge says they will send you an order, how long do they typically have to... There, there, isn't, there isn't any norm. It just depends on the court. It just mm. depends on what their workload is and when they get around to things and everything. There, there is nothing that says they have to do it within so many days or anything. Every court is in charge of its own docket. So Got it. It's I thought maybe there was a statue. Okay. Yeah. 
No, there isn't any. There isn't anything because there's there's some of these courts that sit on stuff for well over a year, depending wow. on what the situation is. Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. you get a, a something turned around same day that you file it. I've had stuff, you know, simple stuff, and some of my things that are turned around, like I file a notice of uh, settlement and a motion to dismiss, and uh, the order uh, to dismiss is issued the next day. I mean, it doesn't even take three or four or five days. It's it's done the next day and boom. But uh, I've had other things, and I know other people have had a lot longer. I've had things that I filed with the court, and it's been uh, a couple, three months before there was a ruling on it. And right. just hurry up and wait. Okay. Well, thank you for the information. I definitely sure. appreciate it. Sure. Well, good job. Good job on what you did. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, hey, Dave. Yeah. Uh, did Yvonne is it Yvonne? Yvonne still on on the call? Yeah, probably. Yeah, she's there. I know she's from she's from New Jersey, right? Yeah, she's from Jersey. Yeah, there's a a, a a living lies well blog with Neil Garfield that uh, has an interesting appellate appellate court case uh, from decision that goes that's in New Jersey. She might want to take a look at it. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, member helping uh, member. Uh, are you familiar with that, Yvonne? I am. Okay. You might want to take a look at that. That may, it may especially doing with foreclosure, that may help you. Thank you very much. All right, doll. All right, thanks a lot, Dave. I'm sorry. Yep. You're very welcome. And by the way, I still haven't had a chance to read that case. You know, you asked me to, and I was going to, and then I uh, had a problem with my computer, and uh, I ended up dumping everything, closed out that window, and I've I've just I've been going and going and going. In fact, I fell asleep at the computer last night again. It's not not a problem when you get a chance. I know you're I'll, busy, man. I'll try and get to it as soon as I can. That's okay. I All right, just wanted to let you know. All right, thank I you. I appreciate the reminder because I think someone sent it to me in the mail too, and I forgot all about it. Yeah, that's it's, it's a it's a very interesting case, and it I mean it deals it deals with um, deals with the uh, securitization and all that stuff with MERS and all that type of stuff. So it might be uh, something that you might want to take a look at, and in that particular post. He has a lot of stuff on it, so you you um it it might be beneficial to you. And and anyone else is dealing with a foreclosure, really. Well, thanks for the information. Absolutely. All right, thank you. All right then. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what we uh, uh, have one hand up. And uh, I want to tell everybody that if you have a question for us tonight, a question or a comment, uh, all you got to do is hit star eight. That'll put you in the queue. We'll take uh, the callers in the uh, order that they raise their hands. And right now we're going to go to Dewar. You are unmuted. Yes, Dave. Um, we have a federal suit in the, the Texas to Dallas division. And um, the problem with this case is that no 
notice was sent to the CRAs. We, we sent a notice of dispute to the to Capital One and to the debt collector, but not to the CRAs. So uh, my understanding is you can't invoke the uh, you have no You have no claim under the FCRA if you haven't made a dispute with the CRA and given them the chance to... Uh, you know, eliminate any errors. That, that right. Okay, so we sent in the, the dispute to the CRAs a couple of weeks ago, and I'm thinking that we should wait to uh, serve the federal complaint until those come in, so we can include no, that. No, no, that no, that doesn't. That's not how it works. You you have to. Make your dispute with the CRA. Give them a chance to correct any error they have. If they fail to correct it, don't do a proper uh, investigation. Then you have an S2B violation, or if there's a credit pull, you know you you can have a, a violation there. But the violation doesn't occur until they have the opportunity to straighten up their act. In other words, correct it. You can't file a lawsuit and then do the dispute afterwards and just wait to serve it. It does. You can't do that. You because you filed a suit when you had no claim. Okay, but we can amend that suit, you know, to incorporate that before before there's an answer. Uh, this this is true. If if you made the dispute and depending on you know what. The, the CRA does if they don't correct any uh, uh, incorrect information that's there uh, then you have an FCRA claim and then you can amend your complaint and add that to it yes okay great um, see and remember is... just one one quick thing here just so uh, as a reminder to everybody it used to be that from the time you filed a lawsuit, the time of filing until you're, you had to serve it within 120 days, uh, that was shortened about a year, year or two ago. I don't remember exactly what the date was. It was shortened to 90 days. So you have three months to serve people before uh, the case is dismissed for lack of prosecution, just so you know how much time you got there. Right. Uh, the other thing is that we sent a letter of dispute to Capital One, but it was returned. We sent it to the registered agent, but it was returned uh, with an address problem. I got the registered agent uh, off of a website that ostensibly had the correct information. I'm wondering. Yeah, you don't send a dispute to a registered agent. Okay. You send that to the company. To McLean, Virginia, then. Well, wherever their headquarters is, but you you don't send disputes to registered agents. All right. All right. Thanks, Dave. All righty. You're welcome. All right. Let's go to who knows truth. You are unmuted. Go ahead. Hello. Uh, hold on Good a evening. second. Hi. Um, I need quiet. Okay. Yes, you I'm, do. Trying, I'm trying to get people around me to be quiet. Um, okay. I've done the uh, 
sent out my um, all those credit. Di- um, I can't think of the word I'm saying. Consumer file disputes. Right, my consumer file. Now I did not consumer file request. Excuse me. Right, the consumer file request. Uh, I got the Equifax one. I did not receive the um, what's the other one there? Oh, Experian uh, or TransUnion. Oh, wait a minute. I received Experian, but I did not get the Equifax. And today is the thirtieth day. Um. TransUnion sent me their little uh, phony um, response, which I responded to again, you know, with the second round of letters. But um, uh, Equifax has sent me nothing, and it has okay. been. Equifax days. only has to answer within 30 days. It's not that you have to receive it within 30 days. So you need to give it a few more days. Okay. Well, that takes care of that. All right. Okay. Um, now, I moving towards the credit reporting. Uh, stage of my process here with with these credit accounts and uh, the webinars and the instructions on Jesse's website said that you should use a true credit inquiry I haven't done the true credit which covers all three of them I've done them individually Uh, should I do a true credit inquiry but I get more of a faster response I don't recommend you use true credit no I don't either Okay. Um, Disregard that. All right. You doing it individually is the way you want to do it. You don't no. want to do a combined because in a combined report you don't get as much information as you get when you get them individually. That's a known right. fact. Okay. Well, uh, on one of the um, no, I, I sent out one credit report dispute. And I did use one of the uh, examples from Jesse's website. And I needed to, I wanted to keep all the text on one page. So I did some, uh, um, some editing and some formatting. And in looking back on that uh, editing and formatting, I did not put my Social Security number or my birth date, but I did put my license and my Social Secur- a copy of my Social Security number on the next page, which was an enclosure. Is that enough for the mm-hmm. information? Okay, good. Um, all right. Yeah, um, as long as you provided it with uh, with the stuff, so they can identify you, it doesn't have to be, you know, on one certain page. As long as you provide that information, you're fine. Okay. And um, now on Jesse's website, on the, I think it was the webinar or on the instructional. I was on the instructional. I've been listening to the webinars, which are very, very good. Um, but on the instructional part, it says if you're going to make a um, claim about credit reporting errors, uh, you don't you don't give them very much information. And basically, I just said I dispute the amounts on this account, and I gave them the, the exact same uh, partial credit number. I mean, excuse me, partial account number that they gave for each report. But I didn't say the I didn't say the exact amount. I just said I, I dispute this amount on this account. Is that enough? I'll let Terry address that specifically. You said you said specifically what? Um, that I dispute the amounts on these following accounts. Oh, okay. Well, then that makes it. Uh, a specific dispute. There's a code for that. 
Okay, so I, actually I'm looking at the document. I am disputing the amounts of the alleged balances as follows. The, the language is a little bit, I, I would change it if I could do it over again. But I put, I am disputing the amounts of the alleged balances as follows. And then I, get, I went down the list and named the, furnish, uh, the furniture plus the account number that they used in reference to that furniture. Okay, You're, the problem you could come into, and this would all depend on how sneaky, crooked, and snaky the lawyers on the other side would be when you end up in litigation. And it's really important because it happened to me at the appellate level, and I couldn't believe <coughs> when they did it that they would sink that low and take that big a risk. But there were two dispute letters a year apart. In the first one, I did what you did. I said in one paragraph, I dispute the following and, that, and stated the reason. Then I listed below the the uh, trade lines being disputed. They were all the same reason, okay? And then the, the one I did the following year, I did it differently. I did it each trade line, uh, one, two, three, four, whatever it was, and on the line with each trade line, after I wrote out uh, the way it was in the credit report, such and such a company, account number, blah, 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 balance, whatever, then directly in that, in that little paragraph there, in that itemized number, I put the reason, and I put it on each one. Well, part of their defense was always from the get-go that I was so vague and scant with my reason for dispute that, of course, they couldn't investigate because they didn't have enough information. Well, we were really pushing that at the uh, appellate level because I was very, very specific in my reason, okay, both in the first letter and the second. So when it came time for them to do their brief, at the appellate level, they really sunk low. They went to that first that first letter from the first year, which had nothing to do with the account at issue at the appellate level, and they cut and pasted out of it, cut the date off the top, and just cut and pasted the portion of the dispute letter that showed the itemized you know, that showed their their uh, company in there. They couldn't get rid of the account number, which didn't match up, but they were just hoping the court wouldn't see it, and presented that as the second letter that I had sent. So they made one letter out of two. Right. Well, no, they took the first one that and, and that that account that was at issue at the appellate court didn't even exist that year when I sent that letter. Same company, though, okay? Uh -huh. so, so two different issues altogether. They took that old letter and they cut it so that it didn't show the date and it didn't show the reason for dispute. It just showed the list. Okay. Okay and presented that to the court 
like, well, this is all she sent us. When that was not the letter that was sent in in uh, in re- in regard to that account, and they had them both. So I discovered it, though I caught it when they filed their brief, and I wrote a letter to the CFPB, quite frankly, and I mentioned it in passing. I didn't say exactly what they did, just that they were attempting to falsify evidence. And within an hour of me getting a call from the CFPB, Craig got a call from their attorney saying, oh, well, we, we, had, we made a little mistake. It's come to our attention. and we, we need to know if you oppose us fixing it. Well, the court just wasn't that stupid. So we said, no, go ahead, try to fix it. So they put in a motion to amend their briefing okay, because they were busted. Mm-hmm. And the court, though, they caught it too because the court also had a copy of both letters in our exhibits, you know. Right. So, so the court caught it, and the court said, yeah, you can, you can, uh, you can fix it. But they wanted, uh, they wanted permission to rewrite their whole brief and change their argument because they were going to have to use the real letter, right? Couldn't very well say I was scant and vague if they used the real letter. So the court right. said, so the court said, yeah, you can amend it, but you don't get to change your argument. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you won that you won that round, is that what you're saying? I won the whole thing, but I okay. definitely won that round, but I wouldn't have, you see, because now Craig He's the lawyer, and I've said this so many times, and I hope everybody's listening to me very closely. Nobody on this entire planet in this whole universe understands what happened to you and your case and your situation better than you. You lived it. You know it. You sleep with it. You live with it all day, and I don't care how long you try to explain it to someone else, no one will ever understand it the way you do. Well, Craig came in, as you, as you all know, at the last minute, at the appellate stage, just to help me with the appeal so that this pro se could get in front of those judges, you know, and make some, some precedent. So, and he came into the issues of this whole area of the law not long before we went to appeal. So he didn't have time to understand things in my case the way I do, nor did he understand the FCRA the way I do. So he didn't catch it. And the court, even if they had caught it, if we didn't object, they'd have to accept it, you know. So you have to read, and Dave had said it, so many times, and I'm going to say it again, every single word in a ruling from the court or documents given to you by the other side, everything, you have got to read it word for word for word with a fine-tooth comb, you got to go through that, like it's under a microscope. You have to think about what you're reading. Exactly. There's a difference between reading and comprehending and just reading. 
And, you know, those two letters, by the time we got to the appellate level, those two letters were nearly five years old, four and five years old, okay? So am I going to remember exactly what those two letters looked like? Well, the only reason I did is because I, I went over my own stuff hundreds of times. I went through their discovery Hi. materials that they gave Hello. me hundreds of times, or I wouldn't have caught it. So, you know, that's what a difference, it could have made the difference between me walking away with precedent and case law for the nation or losing altogether because of dishonest lawyers that tried to cheat and falsify evidence to one of the highest courts in the land. Yeah, our call, our caller just dropped off. Uh oh. Well, she, she must have been on a cell phone. There she is, back. Okay. So, anyway, um, what's done is done. But the next time you do a dispute letter, make sure that you don't just, you know, don't do it the quick, easy way and put your reason to dispute in one paragraph that can easily be cut out of the letter in evidence later. You want to have that, even if the reason is the same, for a whole list of stuff you're disputing, put it it with each one. With each one. And keep that reason within 255 characters, including spaces. Uh, That's not 255 words. It's 255 characters. Okay. Are you talking to me? I've cut out twice. Yeah, Uh, I I saw we lost you. Yeah. Uh, You can uh, listen to the recording. I will. Just your last statement was um, you're saying with each account I need to uh, cite a specific reason, not put a – one paragraph and then put the whole list of uh yeah, don't do it that way because and you know I never would have dreamed. I know how dishonest many lawyers are. And this is a big so-called reputable firm, okay? And yet they actually did attempt to falsify evidence and present it to a high court. So don't take it for granted that that law firm is ethical or in even resembles. You ethical. should assume that all law firms are not ethical. Exactly. So cover your own butt from the get-go. All right. I've already sent them out. Should I send them out again and do no. what you say? Uh, no, I see what no. you get. No, see what you get back because you're probably not going to be satisfied with what you get back anyway. So when well, you do it, when you do a second round of dispute, just do it the way I said. That's why I provided those example letters with the webinars on the website. There was a specific reason I structured them the way I did. Okay, I must not have seen those documents. I went to the. They're with the uh, webinar. With each episode of the webinar, anything that's downloadable. Like the list of case, uh, there's always a list of case law I may have used, and the citations are there. There's a document for that. And if I'm talking about uh, example letters, those letters are there. Any other documents or cases that 
I may be talking about in an episode will be downloadable. With each of those episodes, there were materials that you needed to download and save. Okay. I will go back and look at that. Um, so that, let's say I had, that I had done everything right to begin with. You know, I, I, I put with each account, I was specific that I was disputing the amount on this account and then disputing the amount on that account. What could I have done after 30 days? Could I have made my move? Could I have made a move uh, legally to... Um, well, that depends you know, a private on the response. Account? Okay. All right. But I believe they have 30 days to answer. Well, okay. Uh, that gets a little cloudy, too. Yes, the CRAs have 30 days to answer, unless they send you a letter saying, in response to your dispute, we have opened an investigation. Then they have 45 days. Oh. After they give you that, or from the time you sent them? No, the... from the time you sent it, 45 total. Okay. So the way I've done it, that it's, it's an easy, which basically I put one simple sentence and then I put a whole list of accounts, that can be picked apart easily as being vague or something. Uh, that will suffice for, for this, but if you do another dispute, do them like Terry was saying, put the reason for dispute with each trade line. With each trade line, okay. Right, because, you know, like I said, if I hadn't been so dedicated and so such a bulldog about it and, and reading and over and over and over and knew my stuff inside and out so well, I could easily have missed that. And the court, even if they did catch it, which they obviously did, um, there wouldn't be anything they could do about it because we didn't say anything, you know. So, But then when I wrote that letter to the CFPB, it was a whole new ballgame. Okay. On the webinar, there was the dispute process. I, um, does that ring a bell? Do you think your documents would be under the dispute process for the webinar for CRAs? Probably. Okay. Which webinar are you talking about? Uh, the, the webinar is on Jesse's website. Right, but the, the two that you want to go through where you're going to find all the documents you need are what lies in your credit report. Okay. And cleaning up your credit. Okay, those two. I believe I did download some documents. I, I, I have not looked at them yet. That's my problem. You know, okay. I, would, I would suggest everybody the easiest way for you, really, and especially if you're not habitually overly organized like I am, but um, most people are not. So when you're going through each episode of the webinar, make a folder on your computer for that whole webinar series, you know, like title it, What Lies in Your Credit Report. And then inside that folder, make little separate folders for each episode. And in each episode folder, you put the documents that belong with that episode that you download. And then it'll be so much easier for you to go back and, and uh, find what you're looking for. Yeah, and, and when you're going to go through these webinars and there's documents that accompany the webinar, download them first and have them available there so when Terry is talking about things, she references them, you can be looking at them. Right. You'll learn so much more that way. Um, the, the, the one that's with most of the webinars that says case citations, you know, 
Now, that one you don't necessarily need to open and look at while I'm talking about it. That's just for your benefit so that later on when you need these cases that I've been talking about that are so relevant to the issues, you don't have to come on the call and say, can you think of some case law for this, that, and that. I've given it to you. I just do that for your benefit, not for mine. So when you have a list of case citations where in an episode where I'm talking about um, S2B, for instance, then you've got this whole list right there of case citations. Go read those cases. Those are the ones that you're going to want to use when you're litigating. But the other ones, the letters, the template letters and stuff, you want to have those downloaded and available to look at while you're going through the webinar because Terry's going to talk about those and then you can be looking at it and, and see what she's explaining. Right. So do that first. Yes. There's no shortcuts, guys, unfortunately. No, I believe I've already started downloading that. Uh, but I do need to look at them, too, not just download them. Yes. Okay. Well, actually, yeah. those webinars are a shortcut. I had to do it the hard way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Compared to learning it from scratch and, and doing it? Oh, well, yeah, that's definitely yeah. a shortcut. I wish I'd have had somebody else do that series. When I had to start learning, it would have made it a lot easier for me. But, you know, I don't want anybody to have to do it the hard way if they can get some help along the way and have some valuable information at their fingertips. That's why I do what I do on those webinars. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. That's, those are my questions for this evening. All righty. Thank you. All right. Well, you know what? This young lady in Joyzy's got her hand up again. Young lady, what is it that you want? Did you have a question? Yvonne? Hit your mute button. Your unmute button. Did you butt dial him, Yvonne? No, oh, she had her hand up. That's maybe. Maybe she... Uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and mute her, and maybe she inadvertently did it, or she's off talking okay. to a neighbor or something. Who knows? We're going to go to the north shore of Massachusetts. Who is that? Um, the north shore of Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Aylair. Hello, that's pretty good. I can say that the same way. Massachusetts. Yeah. It's like I got a gumball in my mouth when I do that. How is everybody tonight? Oh, pretty good. All right. I have a, a, a very quick question and a longer one. Uh-oh. Yeah, the quick one that needs just a simple answer is this. I went to a car dealer. I was hoping to get a credit report from the car dealer pretending that I'm buying a car. He pulled the credit from Experian, and he did not want it to give me a print. I, I said to him, please, please, please. He, he said, no, I'm not allowed to. But I was pre Did you ask him who says you're not allowed to? Well, you know, was kind of uh, the friend of my friend. So I was hoping that because of the friend of my friend, he will uh, print it without really fighting it. 
Well, so I no, no, but but I I'm saying I'm asking that for a purpose. Well, he said it's the the rule. He said I didn't. But that that's my purpose. Okay, when you get that kind of response, very nicely. I mean, you don't have to be rude and you don't have to be pushy about it. Yeah. But you simply have to ask them whose rule. And if they come back and say, well, it's it's the law and we're required not to do it, um, you need to cite the section of the FCRA that states there is no prohibition from them giving it to you when you request it. He so, said it's the rules of the company. He said not it was to... the rule of the of the company? Yeah, but which, which company? The credit reporting agency or right. the company he worked for? For the company he works for. I would tell him at that point, look, under the FCRA, Fair Credit Reporting Act, I have a right to see that report. Now, that's a violation if you don't give it to me. You can either give it to me or I can see you and you know, I could sue the company. Not you, of course, because you're, you're just doing your job. But do you think the company wants to be sued, or would you like to give me a printout? I can. Uh, I still have time. I did that on Saturday. I can call them. Well, the the problem is they do it on computer, and the truth is it's encrypted, so <laughs> they can't email it to you. The only thing they can do is print it, because. Wow, they and I'm telling you, it's not the car, it's not the dealership that's encrypting that. It's the credit reporting agencies, and it's illegal. Okay. So I really I'm going to call tomorrow the supervisor and ask him to do that, or I will send a letter. Yeah. You know, tell so, him you you realize that. Uh, it may not be the company's fault, you know, but if if that credit report is, you know, if they're being told by the credit reporting agencies that they can't give it to you, the law says they have to if you ask for it, and um, you're asking for it. So you can, you know, either get a copy, a print of it, please, I'm asking you nicely, or I can name both the credit reporting agency and your company in a lawsuit, which is easier for you. Uh, make sure make sure you ask which credit reporting agency they drew it from. They Bert. took Experian. It was Experian? Yes. Okay. So, you know, I I can I can simply sue Experian and your company as well and you guys can work it out between the two of you. One way or the other under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, I have a right to see what kind of information they are selling on me. Now, so, Terry, I know very well that if you're denied, they're supposed to send it. If you're approved, that I didn't know. No, they're not. If, they don't if have to automatically. If, yeah, if they deny you credit, they have to tell you why they denied it and where they got the information uh, that created the denial, you know, they based on information from Experian or TransUnion or something. And then you can request a copy of your credit report after that, but it's not automatic. Right. And let's say, 
that now this is just hypothetical, but um, it's really good to think about. And remember, let's say they come back and they say, oh, your credit's great, you know, I know we can get you good financing, blah, blah, blah. At that point, you would say, well, what would the interest rate be on that loan? And they'll tell you whatever it's going to be. And then you say, well, what is that interest rate based on? Well, on your credit report, wham, bingo, right there. Well, I need to see that. Well, I'm going to use exactly that tomorrow. I'm going to call probably one of the supervisors. and uh... Because even if you're not turned down, your interest rate, your loan, is based on that information that they got on you. And therefore, you have a right to see it because it might not all be correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. You might be able to get an even better interest rate if maybe some stuff that isn't even yours wasn't in there. Right? Stuff that yeah. you've never seen and never had a chance to dispute. I'll do that. Hey, thank you. Um is it which uh, which one uh, article, uh, article can I use for that? What uh what part of the FCRA? Um, <clears throat> it all falls under 1681G, <clears throat> different sections of that. And mm-hmm. if you'll hold on just a second, I'll tell you exactly where it says. about suing Bank of America. I have ready the uh, Schley and Stillman. I'm going to send it tomorrow. But uh, suing Bank of America, 
under FDCPA first, you have to name them as debt collectors. That, that I have a problem with that. I have that? a problem with, with him saying that because they are an original creditor. Yeah, They're not subject gonna, to the FDCPA. You're going to get Santandered. Yeah. Do you so agree, I, Dave? I would, not, I would not sue Bank of America. I wouldn't either. I mean, that's pers- my personal opinion. I would not. <coughs> the lawyers, maybe. Oh, the lawyers, the lawyers and stuff, if, if you've got that stuff, of course. You know, we have no yeah. problem suing lawyers. They're my favorite target. Exactly. But, um, when, you know, we, we know very clearly that the banks are not debt collectors. And uh, uh, Bank of America, uh, the court's going to take one look at that, and, you know, they, they're going to put in a motion to dismiss them as a defendant, and the court's going to grant it in a blink. So it's wasted ink. I'm concerned, and it yeah. and it makes you look like eh, you don't really know what you're doing. You don't even know who's a debt collector. Yeah, so that I'm connotation, really yeah, that connotation. I don't want associated with something. I don't want it to look like I, I blatantly don't know what I'm doing right up front when I file a complaint. All right, I agree with you, Dave. You know how. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the context was of what uh, Jesse was saying on that. Maybe he didn't understand one specific facet of it or something. But they, you know, they're very clearly an original creditor. They're not a debt collector. In in fact, Dave, it's a little weird my case because uh, they used two different accounts. Initially, it was uh, FIA. What is that? F I A. Yeah. Yeah that had the account with a different number then was transferred to Bank of America with a different number. So they created two accounts. And the weird thing is they are suing in the second account, the the one that is not really true. But Well, then is, that's all to be figured out in discovery in there, isn't it? Well, there's no discovery. One guy. No, 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 no. I'm talking about in federal court. Yes, that's that's one one good thing to to discover is. That's what I'm saying. You know, you you're getting uh, you have a problem with the judge in the state court, but that's why you get into the federal court because that's a different ball game. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to stop the uh, Bank of America uh, thing. I'm going to stick with uh, with the Schlee, Schlee guys. Schlee, by the way, is a Jewish name. Whatever. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much, and um, I'll be listening. Okay, you're welcome. All right. You know, I don't see... Another hand up. Do we have anybody else that has a question or a comment tonight? If so, the way that you get your answers to your question or are able to make your comment is to hit star eight, put yourself in the queue, and that way you can uh, you can get your uh, question asked. And we we're going to go to stalwart. Had to mute and unmute you to get you out of the queue. You are unmuted. Go ahead. Hi, I have a question about. Uh, 
um, the credit reporting agencies being able to report tax liens and judgments? Well, they said this year they were not, no longer going to do that. Mm-hmm. I just pulled a, one of my credit reports, and it was dated October 24th, and they're showing three tax liens that were released. Are they showing that they were released? Yeah, it says released, but that's the same thing as showing a tax lien, I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know what? Dispute. <laughs> Not only would I dispute those, but I would send a debt validation letter directly to the credit reporting agency for those, each one of them separately. Because, and here's why, the credit reporting agency is acting as a debt collector because there is no furnisher. They buy that information. And the aggregators they buy it from are not going to prove it up. They're not going to send somebody to some courthouse somewhere and check it out or to the county or wherever it came from and the credit reporting agency is not going to want to open that can of worms. That stuff will disappear quick. That's exactly why they decided to stop doing that. So that's what I would do. Dispute it directly to the credit reporting agency and separately on each one of them, separately send a demand for debt validation on each one to the credit reporting agency. Okay. And um, I noticed on here that the, it's LexisNexis is... Uh, mm-hmm. That's who they buy it from. They're, they're the aggregators. But that, see, LexisNexis, all they do is just go out and gather up information and sell it. Okay? They are, they are not in the business of validating things, improving things up, and they're not going to do it because they don't have to, and they won't. So the CRA, now, since you demanded validation and you you disputed, the burden of investigation and proving those up is on the CRA and only on the CRA. They don't want any part of that. Yeah, and that falls down to LexisNexis, and like Terry said, they're not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. They'll just eliminate it. Yeah. Is it just a coincidence? I'm looking at this is an Equifax report. <laughs> Equifax is in Atlanta, and so is it Lexus Texas. Now that's just that's just a matter coincidence. of ge- geography. But see, the thing is, Lexus Nexus is not a furnisher in the traditional sense. Furnishers pay the CRAs to be able to furnish them with uh, information. Okay, that shows up in your credit report. They're and a, get credit reports. They're a subscriber so that they can buy credit reports from the credit reporting agency as well. You know, their their contract covers both furnishing information and getting information. LexisNexis is a completely different kind of animal. That is a seller. The credit reporting agency buys information from them. They're not a subscriber. Yeah, I understand that. Okay. 
Uh, and so one you, other... you see why that burden falls 100% on the CRA because there's no furniture. Right. I get it. Thank you. I have one You're other welcome. question, please. Um, I wrote down uh, back in July Santander ruling. Yeah. And I can't find anything on it. It was stupid. The whole thing was ridiculous. There, ne- there, was ne- there was never any case. That case went to the Supreme Court because of an ignorant, completely stupid lawyer who wouldn't give it up when he, he surrendered the case on the first page of his complaint when he admitted, or and actually it wasn't even true. Stated. He stated that Santander was a financial institution. Well, how can there be an FDCPA case to begin with if Santander is a bank? Okay, there can't. So he lost. So he takes it to the Fourth Circuit, and the Fourth Circuit says, okay, you already stated they're a bank. Yeah, but they're a debt collector. Well, they can't be both. Well, yeah, they can and the judges kept telling him, no, you've got to have it one way or the other. Are they a banker or are they a debt collector? No, they're both. Well, the court couldn't do anything, the, the uh, appellate court, Fourth Circuit, but affirm the dismissal at the lower level. Well, still he wouldn't give it up. So he, he takes it up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court looks at it, and they've got to say the same thing. Look, numbnuts. You already said on the first page, in the fourth paragraph, Santander is a financial institution. You never had a case. You didn't have it at the lower court. You didn't have it at the Fourth Circuit. And you don't have it here. And that's all that case means. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) You're welcome. We, We were blown away. We watched the oral argument at the fourth, me and Dave, and um, we're just like, oh, my God, is this guy that dumb? The judge was trying to throw him a bone. Even the lawyer on the other side. Yeah, the attorney on the other side was even trying to help him, and he was still that stupid. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it was like not only could you not fix stupid, you couldn't stop it. It it was stupid on steroids. Yeah, he's a young consumer attorney that had his head up his posterior end when he wrote the complaint. Oh, yeah. And then somebody lit a firecracker. Yeah. So I can line through that note, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. You're welcome. All right. Well, now let's go back and see if this young lady in Joycey is going to talk to us this time. She wouldn't talk to us the last time. Oh, how did I... M- oh, you probably came to me when I ran out the room. I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I'm going to guess say. maybe we sure did. Yeah. Because I was thinking, how can Dave say there's no one in the queue? I'm in the queue. Yeah, he said you're probably yakking with a neighbor. Yeah, we got your number. <laughs> nope, I wasn't that time. But this oh, that time. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dave, that time. Yeah, that time. See, at least she clarified that. So what's on your mind, young lady? This is the scenario. It's a foreclosure case. 
The case was dismissed for lack of prosecution. Okay, then the plaintiff came back to get it reinstated with um, them not knowing when they were going to proceed. Needless to say, the judge reinstated it. So now um, the homeowner has filed a federal suit. And she had it in, um, you know, she filed it, but she hadn't served it yet. So um, in this suit, the defendant put in a 12B6. Mind you, she hadn't served them. And um, anyway, she amended her complaint. So doesn't that make the 12B6 mute? They would have to, uh, if she amended her complaint. Right. um, Well, here's, here's the thing. A 12B6 can be filed even though somebody is not served. Now, you know, some people would say, well, how, how's that? Well, they are acknowledging the suit. Like they checked PACER and found out they were being sued and filed right. 12B6. And if, right. they, if they make an appearance in that case through a responsive pleading like a motion to dismiss, that eliminates the need for service. They've been served. Right. Okay. That's so things be. things can just take and and move forward from there. Now, uh, if she amends her complaint, then what she needs to do is mail a copy of the amended complaint that she filed with the court to them. She doesn't have to have a summons because they've already made an appearance in the case. All she has to do is mail it to them. And then they are going to have to respond to the amended complaint because the original complaint becomes moot. All right. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Thank you. That's You're welcome. Yeah, it, it's, you know, there's some people that think, well, you know, you, they got to be served. Well, no, they don't. If they find yeah. out about it and they, they respond and... Let the court know that they know about the lawsuit. Well, you know what? Guess what? You know that there's a lawsuit against you because you responded. They don't need to serve you. You served yourself by answering. And it doesn't matter what kind of responsive pleading you put in. You can put in a motion for a more definite statement or a motion to dismiss, or you can answer any kind of responsive pleading eliminates the need for them to be served with the summons and complaint because it's telling the court, we already know about it. So just a little tidbit there for everybody and how the the process works. Okay, Uh, I'm looking for hands in the queue, and, you know, I don't see any there. And I think there's probably a lot of people out uh, uh, sorting their candy, getting ready for tomorrow night. That's what I think. Uh, I'm going to go over to Walmart about 1 o'clock tomorrow, maybe a little little bit later than that, and see if I can catch it when they do the markdowns and 
see if I can pick up a couple bags of those little fun size Milky Way bars. I love those things, and if I can pick up a couple, three bags of those uh, at the brother-in-law deal, I'll take and throw them in the freezer, and then I can just uh, grab one of them every once in a while and munch on it and get my little sweet treat. Well, you know what? We have somebody from Massachusetts that just raised their hand again. Mr. Elier? What can we do for you? <laughs> He's out of the room, too. <laughs> Either that or he pushed the wrong button. <laughs> Elir, you had your hand up. We're not hearing you if you're talking to us. Oh, oh, oh I had the mute button. <laughs> oh you hit God. star eight think- instead of star six. He's thinking of Jeff. Yeah, really. <laughs> Okay, you didn't have another question for us. No, you muted out. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, if you hit star eight, it's going to put you in the queue. If you hit star six, it'll it'll mute you. And now he, uh, he, <laughs> Elir, you're yeah, you're playing with the buttons. Let me mute you and unmute you to drop you out of the queue here. Are you playing musical buttons here tonight or what? Yes, he is. Well, now he muted himself again. <laughs> what about now? Okay. Uh, uh, I can hear you now. Don't touch the oh, brush. It's, uh, I, I was confused. I <laughs> think you were. Uh, I'll agree. <laughs> you know Did what you I have a question wrong. for I, us, or were you just playing with buttons? I'm reading what Terry told me, that they have to give me uh, uh, the report. And it doesn't look like he's uh, no. enforcing. No, that, uh, no, that section says there's no prohibition. Prohibition, right. Okay, but that also means that the credit reporting agencies, they can't be encrypting it and telling the people, the users, that they can't give it to you when you request it. Because under the 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 FCRA, you always have a right to see that any a credit report that is being used to affect your credit situation, your financial health in any way. So it goes back onto the CRAs. But the the furnishers or the users, let's say the car dealership or whatever, they don't understand that law. So they you don't. just they don't. So, you know, you just tell them, look, I can name you both in a suit because I have a right to this information of the FCRA. I need to know what you're basing your decision on because it may not even be accurate. And I have that right. So I can sue you both and let you guys figure out who's at fault here. Or you can print it and give it to me. What's easier for you? And this is just one more example of why we're going after this deal on getting our consumer files. Because there's information there that isn't in Elir's credit report. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any reason for them not to give it to him. And why would they encrypt it? They give it to you free once a year. They don't encrypt it when they send it to you. They don't encrypt it. 
they, you know, and they sell it to anybody who's got the the coin, you know, um, and is authorized to request a credit report. So tell me where there's ever a need for encryption. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is, it's a mafia thing. I, I <laughs> yeah, you're closer to the truth than you think. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, I'm I'm not going to use a specific uh, article. I'm going to use FCRA in in general, and I'm going to use your way of telling them that I'm going to sue you both, and uh, then you you have to disclose it to me. Well, and, you, you you no, you can just tell them. Look, we can go about this two ways. Yeah, that's my information. You're making a decision about me based on it. Under the FCRA, I have a legal right to it, so either you can print it out and give it to me, or I can sue the credit reporting agency and your company. You two can fight it out amongst yourself who is liable for this, which is easier for you, me suing you or you printing that out. I'll be happy to pay you for the copy. You know, yeah. tell them. I'll give yeah, you yeah, 10 I'm, cents a page. Yeah, I'm going to start nice, you know, but if uh, if he doesn't, uh, you know, bend, then I'm, I'm going to uh, start uh, showing some teeth. All right. Thank you. And Dave, somebody is asking, do you, do you read the chat, Dave? I'm just looking at the chat right now. Okay. All right. Thank you again. Okay. You're welcome. All right. There's somebody on here... Uh, uh, my birthday is tomorrow. Uh, Dave, tell Terry for me, your Chicago friend. Okay. Well. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Okay. Uh, give us a report on organic sulfur. It's good stuff. <laughs> Everybody needs to be taking it because you don't get it in your food supply. And I tell you what, I'm so glad Alir warned me about that, taking it at night, because now that I've been doing it for, oh my goodness, like two months almost. Um, if I take that past 7 o'clock, I'll be up till 4 a.m. Huh? So now I do it in the morning, and I do it either right before dinner or right after. And, you know, we usually eat somewhere around 5 or 6, but I don't take it any later than that. Because I, and it's not the kind of, it doesn't like give you the jitters or anything. It's just you are wide awake. Well, you got energy. Yeah. I took mine tonight. My butt was dragging this afternoon. In fact, I I, uh, fell asleep and took a little nap here late afternoon into the dinner hour. My butt was really dragging. I had a little, uh, I got a little something to eat. I've just been, you know, cutting back on what I've been eating. And uh, uh, I took, the sulfur and the way I went out for my walk. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and it's like I'm more wide awake now than I I was this afternoon. I always read when when I go to bed, and even if my eyes are so tired I cannot read another word. Oh, I still can't go to sleep. You yeah. know, my I'll eyes, tell you my my just my focus on mental stuff has just definitely improved 
I, I, I mean, it's no, very noticeable to me. And that in itself, I mean, you know, when you get to be an old fart like me, um, that's, a, that's a good thing. It really is. And, uh, I mean, you know, all the physical stuff, of course, that's, that's uh, happened. Now, I, very honestly, um, I did a little experiment. I quit taking the sulfur for a few days. And I just started back a day and a half ago, but I quit taking it for a few days because I wanted to see what had happened. And if you remember, uh, I told everybody, you know, that I'd had quite a problem with swelling in my feet and legs. Uh, I quit taking it, and guess what started coming back? The swelling in my feet and legs. Interesting you should bring that up because I, <laughs> I told you, my kids, well, they're like everybody's kids. They don't listen to you very well. And the older you get, the dumber they think you are and the smarter they are, you know. Well, of course. And uh, my son called me the other day, and out of the blue, he said, Mom, now keep in mind, his wife is a nurse. Right. And so trying to tell them anything. Out of the mainstream out of the medical mainstream yeah. medical stuff is like oh that's just conspiracy theory he loves that term you don't know what you're talking about where do you get this stuff mom he calls me up and he says mom he says i need you to do me a favor what is that son he says well he says that friend of mine at work he's new there at the casino and his 90 days are not going to be up for a couple of months. So he doesn't have health insurance yet. And he says, but he's got a real problem with blood pressure. Do you know anything natural that can help? And I thought, okay, knock me off my chair right now mm-hmm. for asking me that. He couldn't go to his wife because all she can tell him is pharmaceuticals and where is he going to get them without health insurance and a bundle of money, right? for a doctor's yep. appointment and all that. Oh, yep. no, now you come to mom. And so I said, well, gee, funny that you should ask me that because as a matter of fact, I do. So I sent his friend to Cindy to uh, order Good. sulfur. Good. Good. Well, that's the thing, you know. Uh, you got some people that, you know, uh, they're so steeped in bullshit you know that uh, they they learn in their nursing courses and stuff like that. They they close their minds, and a closed mind is a terrible thing. It yeah, really is a terrible thing to waste, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. But there's a lot of people like that out there, and some of them are just hopeless. You can't do anything with them. And on that subject, one of our members sent me a video earlier. And I had seen parts of this video uh, because you can find it on YouTube in kind of like pieces, you know. Um, it's And they're not like one, two, three, four, or whatever. They're just parts of a lecture that Deborah Tavares was giving. And it's not that old. It's just that I had never seen it in its entirety. Oh, my God, it is so good. Dave, and I am going to send it out. Um, Of course, he titled it Smart Meter Warning, and it has a lot to do 
with the smart meters. The smart meters were the reason she was giving the lecture at the time, and she's lectured on a lot of things besides that. But uh, it covers um, everything that we found out, even with the documents that I've shared in the past, like Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars and the Iron Mountain Project, all that kind of stuff. And it's all in one video. Um, it's comparable to Charlotte Iserby's videos on the education system. But um, it's about an hour long, and I am going to eat up a lot of Internet time to finish watching the whole thing, even though I've seen pieces before. But I'm going to send that out to everyone this week after the call on Thursday. And I will say one thing. If you think you can't digest the red pill, if you think you're going to choke, don't watch it. Because it is absolute, 100% unadulterated truth from start to finish. And it's not a truth that you're going to want to have. That's what well, a lot of the is. people, yeah, a lot of the people on this call, you know, understand a lot of what's going on. You know, there's, you know, they may not understand everything, but they understand a lot of what's really going on, the truth. Right. And, you know, all the government documents and et cetera that she's talking about in that video, I have them, I've read them, I've known this stuff, I've studied this stuff, I know what's in Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030, I know what the game is exactly how it's being done, the history going back like 500 years or more, actually more. And, um, you know, I'm telling you, it is unadulterated, pure truth. But if you can't handle truth, don't watch the video. I'm well, going to send it out. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a whole lot of stuff out there that isn't what we thought it was. You know, a whole lot is an understatement, right, Dave? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, you know, I didn't become aware of most of the stuff until uh, just the last uh, almost 10 years. You know, before that, I was oblivious to the truth about all this stuff. And when I first encountered this, oh, I had a real hard time. It was like, I really wait did. a minute, wait a minute. As much as you did, but then What's that? My, I didn't have as hard a time with it as you did, because my grandfather worked at Iron Mountain. Well, yeah, I see, your your exposure previously, yeah. See, but yeah. you know, I grew up in a very you know very conservative Midwestern home. You know, my parents were very very conservative. Don't rock the boat. You know, all this kind of stuff. And they did not encourage us, uh, my two brothers and myself, to really expand our thinking and go out and learn a lot of things. If anything, they taught us to be not rock you know, the don't boat. don't don't rock the boat. Just you know, just go get a job and spend your life working and and you know, go to college. You got to have a college education. That's one reason why I had. Uh, a rather contentious relationship with my parents a big part of my life is because I'm the one of their three sons that didn't finish college. I went one year. I didn't like it. It was a waste of time for me personally, and I quit. 
both of my brothers went and finished college. And, of course, they thought that was just wonderful because they thought that is what made you successful in this world, to just go to college. I went to college twice, Dave, and it never made any difference for me because my real education I got on my own. Well, yeah. I, you know, I don't have a college degree, but I got a PhD in life. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, the, but the bottom line is, you know, we all come from different backgrounds. My background was extremely conservative. And, and my, mine uh, was, was liberal. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, my grandparents mostly raised me, and they were very, very eclectic, open-minded people. They wanted me exposed to anything I was willing to listen to and look into good lord they were members of the edgar casey society yeah well your your background your grandparents were the polar opposites of the way my parents were exactly so you know and i lived in that world for a very long time because i didn't know there was anything different i learned things you know through the years but my real awakening has been in the last uh well really it started in uh later 2008 and it's really took off so well yeah I guess one of those things where or excuse warn, me later 2007 I warn anybody who's new to the red pill you can't unlearn what you find out and what and once you start down that road of truth you can't undo it you can't unwind it you can't go back and sometimes you think, oh, God, I wish I didn't know what I know because it's just so much easier to be a sheep. But you know what? <laughs> we all got to learn. We all got to wake up. Or there just won't be anything for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. Yeah, I had uh, somebody that I know that sent me an email this afternoon. Oh, well... You know, with all this stuff going on, Trump's been a real disappointment. <laughs> How? And I and and I emailed her back and I said, "You're you you obviously don't understand what's going on in the background, but you don't understand that uh, uh, Trump went into a hornet's nest where he's fighting everyone. He's he's not. It's not like okay, well." You know, he goes in and he's got the Republicans on he, his side and he's fighting the Democrats. He does. T- if, you, if you don't understand that the Democrats and Republicans are all the same, well, that they're the elite, yeah. and that, that he's fighting the elite to clean the swamp, at least to some degree while he's there, then you, do, you aren't even going to begin to understand the opposition and the problems he's dealing with and trying to accomplish anything. Right. People need to understand we sent him to Washington to drain the swamp. Okay, those of us who voted for him, that's exactly what we sent him there for. It's not just the wall. It's not just immigration. It's not just the economy. Yeah, those things are really, really important, and those are a byproduct of draining the swamp. But we sent him there to drain that damn swamp. But let me tell you something. That swamp is not just populated by Democrat swamp creatures. They're on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And the Democrat-Republican is a divide-and-conquer thing you know yeah you, 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 people everybody's got to understand that it, you know they're the elite they have run things the way they wanted to for their benefit for so long and he's coming in saying wait a minute there's got to be something for the people of this country and they don't like that and they're going to fight him 
tooth and nail, every way they every nasty possible way they can think of. And and you know, as long as people listen to the rhetoric and the noise in the media, they're going to buy into the well. You know, he's not doing very good, isn't it? No. Pay attention to the facts. Look at what's going on, but turn off the noise. Please turn off the noise. I don't listen to all of that stuff. You know, when I look at CNBC's website, you know, I'm I'm a trader. I I glance at their website to see what business stuff is on there. Man, that thing was just absolutely covered today with Paul Manafort this and Paul. There was nine stories on there, nine different articles on Manafort. I think the guy probably what the hell has that got to do with business, the financial world out here? And nothing. nothing. It's it, but it all it's all beat up. Oh, this is bad for Trump, and this is going to be his downfall. And you know, it, it it's incessant. It's never ending. All I'm going to say is, if is if you take it all in, you're doing exactly what they want you to do. If you ignore it, then it starts having an effect. Looks to me, he's doing exactly what we sent him there to do. And he's brilliant in the way he's doing it. I love this whole Twitter thing. I love the way he does everything. They never know if they're coming or going. He's got their little heads spinning. We sent him to drain the swamp, and you look at the people that are being eliminated one by one by one. However it is they're being eliminated, I'll say he's starting out doing a pretty damn good job. Then you look at the fact that the economy is boosted, Unemployment is at its lowest in I don't know how many years. Factories are opening up again. Business is coming back to America. Excuse me, to hell with Congress and passing legislation. This is his first year. You know, we got an election coming up in 2018. And if we can get rid of some swamp creatures and get in some good, ordinary, honest people, hopefully that aren't lawyers, into Congress, Legislation can happen. Over. Why do you think that you got some of these long-term legislators that are not running for re-election, like Corker exactly. and, and uh, what's, his, what's his name from uh, Colorado, Flake. or I mean Arizona? Flake. Flake, yeah. He's a flake okay. So, you know, these people are, are not deciding to uh, not run because they – just feel they've served their purpose and stuff like that. They know they're going to get their ass beat, and they don't want the losing record. That's right. So, anyway, we are at the end of the call, everybody, and I think it's time for me to go find out if I've got any uh, Hershey bars left in my freezer, and I think I do have a... You sound like Mary Lynch. She's still got Girl Scout cookies in the freezer. I still have Girl Scout cookies here. Oh, I still I have the thin that too. Yep. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us tonight. Uh, there is no call tomorrow night. There won't be any call for the next two weeks on Tuesday night. We're skipping two weeks. And uh, then we will resume the Tuesday night calls after that. But Terry will be on her call Thursday night. 
same time, same channel, same phone number, same PIN. So you guys have got it. Tune in on Thursday night, and we'll have another confab and uh, answer questions for people, uh, hopefully, and help them out because that's our purpose in being here. So thank you, John. John's been very quiet. I know he uh, has been uh, multitasking tonight. Exactly. And, uh, I had you on speakerphone, but yeah. I wanted to say something, and then Terry changed the subject. I've been <laughs> taking. I've been taking. As you know, I broke my arm roller skating June twenty fifth. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to have surgery and all the rest. And I had a lot of swelling afterwards and stuff. And the swelling didn't go down. And the doctor didn't want to give me anything more than, you know, like Tylenol, which she can have, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. But when I started taking the sulfur, the the joint um, stiffness and swelling went down. If I don't take it at night, even though it does the same thing with making sleeping difficult if I take it later, I'm super stiff in the morning. And I yeah, need to take John. a bigger dose to get it to loose up. Yeah, it's popping. My, my knees pop. all healed. Your knees and all was, healed? It was at night it, when it really, really bothered me. It's not when I was up walking around or going up and down stairs or anything. It was laying down. And then in the morning when I would go to get up, because you're not moving it, mm-hmm. you know, it stiffened up and I'd go, my, my bed is real high, and so and I'm real short. So I kind of have to hop off of it, and that would be, oh, my God, pain up my leg um, from the knee, and it's all gone. Well, the other the other thing was then, then you know, a couple months in, we got a dog, and it's a small dog, and, you know, a puppy, and so you have to get down and play with it. Well, crap, I've been laying, I've been, you know, sitting in a chair more or less immobilized because of my arm for a couple of months and haven't been getting up and down on the ground compared to when I was swimming two miles a day. And, yeah, I'm stiff as a board getting up and down. I started taking the sulfur. It went away right away. Yeah. I mean, it, it made such a difference. And there is an increase in energy. When I first started taking it, I didn't want to eat that much. Then I went back to a normal diet and it didn't have as much of an effect. But if I cut back on what I'm eating, you get more energy. If that there you go, sense. everybody. Another testimonial. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just awesome. It's just awesome. It's good so, stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. I recommend it for everybody out there. You know, and if you got questions about it, uh call the phone number that we gave out and uh, ask Cindy all the questions you want. She's been taking it for Oh, at least 15, 16 years. Uh, she knows a lot about it, and she can answer most of your questions, or she can put you uh, uh, in contact with Patrick, and he can answer your questions as well. So uh, it's it's worth a try. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what it did for me, like I said, for me, it seems like it turned my biological clock back about six, seven years. The, the way I feel and, you know, stuff that was going on with me and issues that I was dealing with. So, you know, needless to say, I'm a happy camper. But my mental, you know, my mental acuity, I notice a very distinct difference. Very distinct. And for somebody older, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. So, Yeah, and the debt collectors are going to hate it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. We were all sharp on the uptake before. Just look how we're going to be now. 
Yeah, well, I just, you know, I I actually had been, you know, I noticed deterioration and, you know, my thought processes and stuff and everything, and I started taking this, and that's been reversed. It uh, it really, it, it has made a definite, very discernible difference in my ability to uh, focus on things and just get things done. I had gotten to the point where I, I had been putting off more things just didn't feel like doing them, and since I started taking that, everything's different. I mean, when I've got stuff to do, it's you know, just jump right up out of the chair and go do it, whether it's doing something in the kitchen or getting other stuff done, and uh, it's just a, a, a really, really big difference. So, and, and the best part is it's something all natural. It's not like you're taking something that you, know, yeah, you weren't supposed to be taking. it's just food. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's just cheap. Food. Yeah, food we're yeah. not getting. Right, it's just not in our food supply anymore because of government mandates. So, anyway, thanks for your your comments, John. I'm sure you are thoroughly enjoying <laughs> having that. I am. Stuff. I am. So, all right. Well, everybody, I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, thanks again to everybody, to John and Terry as well, especially. And again, no call tomorrow night. So. Thursday night, we'll uh, get together with everybody at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. And if you uh, got information that you want, go to Jesse's website. You can get there by going to knockoutcollectors.net. And with that, we'll call it a night. Good night, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you on Terry's Call on Thursday. Good night, all. Thank you for hosting, Dave. Thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.